0: This is a production of DermCast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs during our summer meeting in San Diego, California, June 2017. Um, So we're going to jump right into this. And Manny, if you can do me a favor in the back and set my timer for 50 minutes instead of 60 minutes, that would be great. Um, So my talk is on common benign skin growths. And really the title should be Pictures, Pictures, Pictures. Because I went into dermatology because I feel a little bit like Sherlock Holmes every day. I go in and I'm looking at colors and shapes and trying to decide if the history fits or doesn't fit. Um, I think they're working on the slides in a second. and so I wanted to bring some of that to this talk. And last night at dinner, I had a great time on that boat. Um, so thanks for including me. Um, I was talking to some of you. And I was like, what do I do to spice this up? And they said, well, you know what? We really love dermoscopy. So this morning, I rewrote my talk to put in some dermoscopy. So I hope that's OK. Um, yes. All right. So we're going to go over some common benign skin growths in a second. (laughs) Um, But the objectives of the talk, and that way I can uh, skip through it a little bit faster, are to look at just the clinical appearance, just regular. Um, to then show you some of the dermatoscopic pictures, to make some comparisons between some common benign, I might throw in some cancers there because that's sort of our goal, Um, and to think about the differential for this. Um, So I think that the fun part of a differential and the patient exam is sort of that critical eye. You know, not taking for granted that when you hear hooves is the old saying, you you think of horses. Like part of the fun is that we think of the zebras and the uncommon or the dangerous stuff. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. Um, But like I said, we're going to add some dermoscopy to it. So we actually did a course on dermoscopy at the American Academy of Dermatology, and we thought we should have named it this, but we didn't think it would actually get accepted if we put this title on it. Um, But this is how a lot of people feel. Dermoscopy wasn't taught when we were in school and training, and we're sort of picking it up on the sly. And sometimes the images that we're seeing through that dermatoscope seem sometimes wildly different than what we're used to interpreting with our eye. But what I want you to know is that It is learnable, and it is very valuable. And so I hope that at the end of this, you're really going to see how you can use dermoscopy uh, and some of the signs that you see uh, through that dermatoscope to help add to your practice with even those common lesions. So these are the pre-questions. This is a 33-year-old man with a new papule on his leg. It bleeds occasionally. What is it? Great. I asked for yacht rock music, so this is gonna rock today. All right, 22-year-old with a new papule on the left flank. What is it? Don't worry. Be happy. All right. A 26-year-old woman comes in with this dark spot. What is it? All right. 63-year-old man comes in with a new spot on his back. What is it? Good. 63-year-old man comes in with a new spot on his back. What is it? Welcome to the hotel. All right. So Dr. Swanson, the speaker at lunch earlier today, said, stay classy, San Diego. I think the take-home message I want for all of us every day when we see patients is really stay sharp. So that's sort of my challenge when I'm in clinic. I'm on my 16th skin check, and I just look at this person's back, and I'm like, oh god, SKs everywhere. Um, but the challenge is to find that thing that maybe isn't the SK, in the midst. So, I saw uh, briefly some of the responses here. So, the thing on the left is the separate keratosis. Um, and what you can see in this image are these tapioca colored sort of macules within this larger plaque. Uh, and those are the horn cysts. Uh, sometimes people describe the surface of an SK as being cerebriform or sort of gyrate. And you can get a little bit of that sense up here in this section. The thing on the right, though, this is a melanoma. So what you can see at the edge, and I'll show you more of in a second, is the pigment network, which looks sort of like a brown mesh. This could throw you off those. You could look at this really quickly, again, not critically, but quickly, and say, oh, uh, it's got horn cysts. It's just an SK. But these are actually um, melanocytes, um, melanoma cells, filling the follicle and just distending it. So again, this is where dermoscopy can help you. We just have to really be critical about what we're seeing. So. Benign growth, seborrheic keratosis, we know, are really common. Um, a lot of times when I see someone and they have their first one, I say, you know what? For every year you get older, you're going to get another one. They're not maybe always going to be this big. I don't want them to worry too much, but I do want to set their expectations. Um, I see these a lot kind of around the periphery of the face as well. People don't always expect them there. And as you guys know, we see them in lots of different colors. Acrocordons are another just benign lesion to throw in there, and for both of these, Cryo, you know, it's just the most common thing we sometimes turn to, but I put at the bottom here I don't know about your patients, but they always love to brag about the things that they tried to use at home to treat skin tags and SKs And I have a number of, this might be true for you, usually male patients, 60 and older Who love to like reenact how they pulled off an SK, they're like, yeah, I really got my nail under it and I just flicked it off um, but I've heard all kinds of things like tea tree oil, wart remover, whether it was the um, liquid nitrogen that was wart remover or sal acid. And, you know, I just tell every person, I wish I had the thing that would cure this because if I did, I would not be working. Um, but as far as we know, there isn't really anything that's highly effective for SKs. If you have something highly effective, please punch it into your little question and answer thing so we can all benefit from it. One thing I learned only through trial and error was that when I told my patient, yes, I'm gonna get rid of your SK, I really wasn't always getting rid of their SK. I often get this little halo of SK around the edge. Uh, And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll focus my cryo on the center, but then just do a little bit extra and include just a little bit of the normal skin around the SK. But I also just set people's expectations. Like, I might make this flatter. I might leave part of it behind. I might get rid of the whole thing. But I just want you to know that I might not remove it completely. So I think just always setting people's expectations is helpful. So in general to dermoscopy, one of the best applied ways to work through a lesion, sort of a schema in your mind, um, just like we walk into a room and we say, is something a rash or is something a growth? This is a similar schema. The first question we always want to ask ourselves, because our goal is to identify things that should be biopsied, is, is this melanocytic? And the things that tell you something is melanocytic are, does it have a pigment network? Does it have globules, or is it a homogeneous blue-gray? So this is pigment network. These are two nevi. Pigment network is that lacy or mesh-like brown color, brown. You can see it's a little more dense on the right-hand picture compared to the left-hand picture. Those areas of lightness that almost look like the number four on a dice or like a button, those are areas where hair follicles are coming through. You get a little bit of hypopigmentation often around where a hair follicle penetrates. You will see this again in a second where we have normal patterns of nevi that often have this little bit of reticulation in them. So pigment. Globules or homogenous tell you that you are now in the pigmented lesion category. Globules are, again, brown. They are often very even in their size within the lesion. And homogenous sort of blue-gray is on the right-hand side. So this is a very typical blue nevus. These could be misconstrued as globules. This is a pigmented basal cell. We don't want to misinterpret these streaky, not globules, but kind of just blobs. So they're not evenly round. They are not distinctly brown. There are some blue and gray and black in there. And you can see on this right-hand side, I'll show you another uh, basal cell at the end, this is one of those spoke wheel patterns where it almost looks like watercolor paint dripped down onto a piece of paper and the ink has sort of spread just a little bit. So globules of a nevus are brown and very even. Pigment within a basal cell often is a bit streakier. So now that we've decided that something is a pigmented lesion, you can see that there's some variation even on the same patient of the patterns of their nevi. So this idea of the signature nevus that Gene Bologna put forward is that people make consistent patterns in their nevi, but they can have two or more patterns. We just expect a new pigmented lesion to respect those patterns, and if it doesn't, it's the ugly duckling and we biopsy it. But as you can see here, these are two patterns, I put the cartoon next to them, of very normal nevi. This is just a table, and I took the words out so it wouldn't be um, too busy, of, again, very normal pigment network patterns for nevi. If you compare something with a pigment network, to an image like this, and this is from an article by Ash Goob, who's one of the kind of biggest people in dermoscopy around, and I meant to mention in terms of resources for uh, dermoscopy and sort of just teaching yourself um, or being taught by somebody. There are some very good workshops out there. The American Dermoscopy Meeting is an annual meeting um, that is, I think, pretty excellent. Mayo has one as well. Um, Ashmargoob put together an atlas for dermoscopy. It's pretty pricey, it's like $400. So our clinic bought one and we sort of just share it as a resource, but the imagers are really fantastic. But he did a lot of this work looking at what is normal. What is a normal nevus pattern? So these are several of them. If something doesn't fit into this pattern, that's when you biopsy it. So you decide if it's got a pigment network, and if it does, does it fit a normal pattern? If not, it doesn't fit, so it has to split, it gets biopsied. So more pigmented lesions. I'm sure you guys have tons of patients who come in with things like this. And I put up this picture as we can look at it really quickly and reassure the patient and the daughter. They are even more reassured, I think, sometimes when I pull out my dermatoscope and I pause very thoughtfully over them. And they're like, oh, gosh, she is really looking. And I say, you know what? These are very normal sunspots, so wonderful. But it's also an opportunity for me just to continue to train my eye to what normal is. So that way I can see abnormal when it shows up. So this is sometimes that very striking dark spot on somebody who has many other lentigines or freckles. The difference for an ink spot lentigo, and I'll show you a normal lentigo in a second, um, is that it does have a little bit of this pigment network. The difference, though, is that it's a very dark black compared to the brown of a nevus on the right-hand side. And you can see again in this nevus, it's sort of respecting those hair follicles that are coming through with a little bit of pallor. So when you see that dark black macule, you look down on it, you see this very black, but also very even pigmentation. So all of this network, all of this streaking and lines, the width of these lines are very consistent across the whole lesion. And that's very important to help us figure out if something is a lenticomaligna. So solar lentigines. I have a number of patients, and maybe this has happened to you, who come in worried about a particular lentigo because they've gotten you know, some solar purpura right underneath it. So now you get this tan and purple over top of each other, and it sort of concerns the patient. Um, again, derm- dermoscopy has been pretty helpful, um, both in extra reassurance, but also reassuring myself at the same time. So this is a 78-year-old woman with a dark spot that's been there forever. What is it? So I think that this is always a reminder of how much weight do we put on the history? Because I've had a number of people come in and have a story about like, oh, I've had that since I was five years old. Well, that's great, but I don't like it. You know, It's like you can look at something and in the context of all the other tan things on her face, you can say, you know what? Like, This is just a little bit too weird. Um, so comparing the woman on the right, who has very small, very consistent lesions, to the woman on the left, who's got just a lot of irregularity and that thing that just doesn't fit in the center. So this is lentico maligna. And on the right-hand side is a typical solar lentico. So the classic words used to describe this, number one, you do not see a pigment network. So these are the follicles coming through. You do not see that very typical lacy or web-like network. This is just pigment, and it's described as having this scalloped edge at the end. Some people call it moth-eaten. Honestly, I don't know what anything moth-eaten looks like, so I liked scalloped. It's easier to remember. And the pigment is very tan. So we said, does it have pigment network globules or homogeneous blue-gray? We said no, so it is not a nevus or a melanoma, it's something else, and I can recognize that scalloped edge. It looks like a solar lentigo. On the right-hand side, this is a face, and that's always a little bit challenging interpreting facial lesions. You see, again, these large openings to the face. You're thinking about, well, is this an ink spot lentigo? But what you can see is this very, a lot of variety in the width of this network, so very broad here, thinner over here. That's not a good thing. You can also see the difference here with the granularity. So a lot of granules, particularly lining up around hair follicles, that is a sign of maligna. Sometimes the follicles start to have this very geometric or what we call rhomboidal shape. That is not a good thing either. Then there's also this sort of blue-gray um, finding. So blue-gray veil, granularity, especially perifollicularly, rhomboidal structures or shapes around the follicles, and that variation and the width, these are all signs of lentigo maligna. Again, just to compare and contrast to the ink spot lentigo, which again is always pretty dark, but the difference here is you can see just the homogenousness of that network across uh, the width of that ink spot lentigo. So here's a young man who came in. He has this enlarging nodule on his lower leg. And you can say, you know what? I know that's a dermatofibroma, but the opportunity is, I think, to always train my eye. So dermatofibromas have this scar-like center. It's not actually a scar. It's that area where the fibrosis is sort of the most spherical and close to the surface. So you see a little bit of this. It's called a pseudo-pigment network um, that's uh, sort of stimulated by the underlying uh, fibrotic growth. Um, And again, you can say, who needs a dermatoscope for that? I have two fingers, and I can pinch it. So that always reinforces. We like history. We like to use our eyes, but we're also always using our hands. And that is a skill we need to incorporate in with dermoscopy, so it's not to leave anything out. And this is just a reminder that dermatofibromas are some of the most pleomorphic, like weirdest looking things that I see in people sometimes, and I always have to reassure myself and kind of pinch it and touch it. And here's that reminder about just staying critical. So I had a patient who had this lesion on her thigh. And I looked at it really quick. I was like, oh, that's just a dermato. uh," And I touched it. And I was like, it's, uh," and I had to back up a little bit. Um, So I biopsied this, and it was an atypical spitz. And this was before I was really pulling out my dermatoscope all the time on things because there really is a big difference in the findings between a spitz nevus and a dermatofibroma besides that texture. So a typical pink spitz nevus will have these, evenly distributed pink dots over the surface of it. And that's what you can see on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side is the prototypical reed's nevus, or the pigmented spits. And it's described as having this starburst pattern. At the very edge of uh, pigmented spits, or reed's nevus, you get these sort of tennis racket uh, shapes. Sometimes we call those pseudopods. That would be concerning in a pigmented lesion if it was only part of it. So, in melanoma, you'll sometimes see pseudopods in one part of a melanoma. What's reassuring is you could cut this into halves this way, halves this way, and it would be bilaterally symmetric. So, in this case, where it is not just a portion of a lesion, it is the entire lesion, and again, it's very symmetric. This is a pigmented Reed's nevus, sorry, pigmented spitz or Reed's nevus. So more pink things on the skin. This is a 22-year-old, new lesion on the flank. The typical description of the angioma with the dermoscopy findings, maroon lagoons. Dermoscopists are so creative. They love to come up with like the funniest little ways to remember stuff. So maroon lagoons, and you see these septae, the fibrous septae between the red sort of lakes within the angioma. And this is, I think, always helpful for me when I'm looking at somebody's back sort of at a couple feet away, and I see suddenly a very dark thing, and I'll go put my dermatoscope on it, and I can reassure myself it's just a purple angioma. Um, So I think this is always uh, really nice to see. So, On the left, we have that typical angioma. On the right-hand side, this is, again, one of those really dark things that suddenly catches your eye. And I put evil in quotation marks because, again, it suddenly looks so black, and patients often come in saying, this thing just turned black on my back, and it's got a ring around it. Oh my gosh but it's what's called a targetoid hemisiderotic comangioma. And for a lot of us, we end up biopsying these because we're worried about something like nodular melanoma. But this is where dermoscopy again can come to the rescue. So on the left, that angioma. On the right-hand side, what you're seeing here is basically a thrombosed angioma. So this is scabbing. You can almost see the remnant of the angioma in the center here with a halo of that purpura around the outside. What we're not seeing in the center here is any kind of pigment network, globules, or homogeneous blue-gray. And that helps us to rule out any kind of pigmented lesion like a melanoma. So we know that cherry angiomas are really common. Um, I started listening to the questions that my patients had about angiomas. And if somebody, if I had like three patients who asked the same question, I started putting it into my spiel, um, just like preempting the question. And so I usually tell people, you know, you're going to get one of these, like for every birthday you have, it's not related to any drugs you take, like your aspirin, it's not from anything you eat. And then usually they're like, okay, all right, I'm calm now. Um, So that kind of helps my approach. But... This is just a comparison of, again, some things that we maybe don't think of too often but are gonna be pink, red, weird things on the trunk. On the right upper side, you could say, gosh, that's a lot of keloids for somebody to have. That's Kaposi sarcoma. On the bottom, this is the um, thigh of somebody. You're looking at it from left to right, from groin to knee. Um, this is somebody with these pink papules. You can say, gosh, if I put that on the trunk, that could look like Grover's, but it's in the wrong place. And this is TMEP, or telangiectasia macularis eruptiva perstans, which is in the sort of category of mastocytosis. So there are lots of just really interesting, crazy, uncommon things that are pink and dotty on people. All right. So. I threw this in before I did the dermoscopy, but I think it is a little bit fun for me because, you know, I had a patient with one of these, and I was like, you know, I look at this, and I'm not really worried about it. It sort of looks like a dermal nevus. It kind of bothers you. Let's take it off. And I cut into it, and it's like cutting into a really thick rubber band. It's just, like, hard. So I was... Hoping it wasn't anything really important. Um, And it came back as a palisaded, encapsulated neuroma. And so the point of the next few slides is like, what am I getting back in my path report? What is this? Do I need to worry about it? And I've ended up biopsying a few of these. They always feel the same, kind of really rubbery and thick. And they're typically kind of right around the face. So all of the ones that I've seen so far, either in pictures or in my own practice, have been sort of in the central face. These are not worrisome. They're not dangerous. You don't have to do anything about them. But now you won't be surprised like I was when I got it on my path report. So red, kind of shiny, now that Jim Treat gave that talk yesterday, we're all like, hey, melanoma! But we don't have to take off every shiny pink or red nodule on the thigh now that we have dermoscopy. So. This is a clear cell acanthoma, one of those things that, again, I biopsied before I knew what it was, but this is a benign lesion that, again, is really common on the leg. Uh, If you look really closely at the side of it, it also has a collarette, a lot like a pyogenic granuloma, where they can look a lot alike. But, again, we want to send these off if we biopsy them because we want to make sure they're not something worse like Merkel cell or a melanotic melanoma. But this is where, again, dermoscopy can help us. So I think clear-cell acanthomas have one of the most remarkable dermoscopy patterns. They look like a string of pink pearls. So it will always line up like this. Um, again, you can kind of get the sense that it's a very distinct lesion, and it has a colorette. That colorette is even more remarkable on the right-hand side, where this is a pyogenic granuloma, and it has a very homogeneous pink. So not homogenous brown or black or gray, no pigment network in either one of these. You see this, you can be reassured. So I biopsied this, thinking it was maybe a superficial basal cell or squamous carcinoma in situ. It was a porokeratosis. And dermoscopy can help us with this too. So you put your dermatoscope down, sort of the pink blanches out, and you can see that very kind of raised cornoid lamella, that hyperkeratosis that's just so pretty around the outside. I always love kind of showing the students when I hold my dermatoscope sort of across it, you can highlight that cornoid lamella. It throws a little bit of a shadow. And so it's more obvious when there's multiple of them, but in that first case, there's just that solitary one. So porokeratosis is sort of like the lesser cousin of actinic keratosis, is how I think of them. It's not that these are precancerous, but it's a sign that there was really significant sun damage there. Um, And so we do need to watch for the squamous cell that may arise within a porokeratosis. That's actually a a lot more concerning in somebody who has the linear form of porokeratosis. And that's often in a blastoid pattern. We see a lot of reports of it on the leg. Those people have those from the time that they're young adults. This really only comes out uh, later in adulthood. Um, so the risk of squamous cell is, again, really related more to the UV damage uh, in these lesions. Um, you do not need to treat these like AKs in terms of doing field therapy. Occasionally it backfires and people can get some um, pretty impressive ulceration on their legs, um, and that can take a lot of time to heal up. Uh, over exuberant cryotherapy, I have colleagues um, back in Pennsylvania who had a chronic ulcer on one of their patients for six months because of cryo on a porokeratosis. keratosis that was probably never going to turn into squamous cell anyway Um, so pretty much everything's been reported to treat this everything's been reported to work and those same things have been reported not to work so it's a little bit of just kind of talking people through this is probably not dangerous how much does it bother you is it worth it all right so last one of these I biopsy what so I biopsied this, worried about maybe a nodular basal cell that was ulcerating, or is this a keratoacanthoma type of squamous cell carcinoma? But it's chondrodermatitis nodularis helicis. And so now I sort of make myself pause. I might be looking at the side of their head, but then I'll walk in front of them and sort of look at how their ear curves. And if it's right on the part that's most protuberant, and that's a different place for every person because of the shape of our ear, then I'm pretty much more reassured that it is just chondrodermatitis nodularis helicis. Doesn't mean I won't biopsy it because sometimes that biopsy is therapeutic as well. It's getting off that inflammation and sort of that nitus of irritated uh, cartilage. But I don't have to do it because I'm worried about cancer. So on the left is CNH. On the right hand side, though, looks a little bit different. So the CNH on the left-hand side clinically more pink, more inflamed, right on the edge of the helix. Again, another really common place would be down here on the protuberance of the anti-helix. Looking at this one, it almost looks sort of indented, which is not what I'd expect. There's really no inflammation, so this is a basal cell. And my dermatoscope can help me confirm that. So basal cells have a lot of findings. But the first thing that we're noticing is that there is no pigment network. There are no globules. There's no homogeneous blue-gray. So we're now outside of that melanocytic category looking for consistent patterns of things we know. Basal cell, SKs, angiomas. We're not seeing maroon lagoons. We don't see anything cerebriform. So we can look for signs of basal cell. So here's one of these leaf-like structures. This is pigment within the basal cell. Again, not a typical nice, round, consistent globule. There are some blue-gray ovoid nests. Again, that's the word that they use more for things that you think are globules, but really technically aren't. They like nests in dermoscopy. Branching telangiectasias or arborizing vessels, so in a basal cell, I'll show you another picture in a second, the telangiectasias typically are branching and they will cross the center of a lesion. And if I keep that in mind, then I don't risk misdiagnosing a sebaceous hyperplasia as basal cell because those vessels never cross the center. And then the last finding here, we often see some scaling. And then here's some erosion down in here, as well as some erosion right over here. So these are all, this is a great picture of a basal cell because it has so many of the findings. This was a woman who came in um, to our office. She was told she had an FK. And, She said, you know, the person told her, oh, you don't have to treat it if you don't want to. She said, okay, I won't. She came in three years later. We put our dermatoscope down on it, and what you can see is this arborizing vessel that's crossing the midline or the center of the lesion. So lots of branching and definitely extending across the lesion. So she had most surgery. And vessels are one of the hardest things to actually interpret, I think, in dermoscopy because there are so many patterns. Um, And so on the left-hand side, this is a dermal nevus. And what you see is you don't really get that branching pattern. Uh, Let me go back. Because what's important is that an arborizing vessel always has its trunk on the skin. So arborizing vessels start on the skin and then go upwards over the lesion and branch. So you could say, well, why isn't this an arborizing vessel? Well, the trunk doesn't touch the skin. So this is a dermal nevus. You can also see the pigment down around the base, which helps you to know that this is in the pigmented lesion category. And then here, here's another pigmented basal cell. Again, these blue-gray ovoid nests, which are not true pigment. And then some more telangiectasias on the center. So just that comparison. Alright. So I think that the goals for this talk, um, which hopefully I didn't speed through too fast, is that there are lots of benign skin growths out there. Um, our dermoscopy can augment not only our vision or our inspection of those lesions, but also our palpation. Um, and to always kind of stay sharp, San Diego. You know, remember that there are things that mimic other benign skin growths, but you know, the challenge is at 4 o'clock on a Friday to not miss that thing that looks so much like it. Pull out your dermatoscope. Start using it on normal things so you can find the abnormal things. Um, again, some of these courses are really great, and the uh, textbooks uh, help a lot. Just remember, kind of have a scheme for yourself in your mind. Does it have a pigment network, globules, or homogeneous blue-gray? If yes, then you're in that category of things that are either, either a nevus or melanoma. And again, we would rather over biopsy something than try and rely too much on our dermoscopy scheme and miss biopsying something that was maybe an early melanoma. So if there is pigment network, does it fit a benign nevus pattern? Again, the Ashmar-Goo paper is really good for that. If it does, you don't have to biopsy it. If it does not fit a benign nevus pattern, it needs to come off. If there is no pigment network, does it fit a known pattern of some other lesion? might be a basal cell, we're still going to have to biopsy it. If it looks like an angioma, you can leave it behind. Um, If it doesn't fit a known pattern, and you didn't see pigment network in that first scheme, biopsy it, because it's not fitting into a good category. Uh, So again, we'd rather err on the side of biopsy. All right, so going to the post questions. 33-year-old man, new papule in the leg, bleeds occasionally. What is it? Great, so Dramatofibroma, guys are excellent. 22-year-old new Papua on the Flank. I think you had like 99%, oh yes, 3% more. I still haven't beat Jim Treat yet though, come on. All right, 26-year-old woman with a new dark spot. What is it? All All right. Yes, look at that. Good performance to begin with, even better. I like it. All right, 63-year-old man, new spot on his back. So, seborrheic keratosis, and this one, new spot on his back, what is it? Great, so I saw a lot of It sounds like you got something out of it, which is fantastic. Uh, We have 15 minutes, right? I forgot about this. Let's do that. The overall performance of the speaker. How useful will this session be in your practice? As a result of this program, do you intend to change your patient care? All right, so I know people have to get ready for evening plans, so I won't take it personally. If you're not interested in the questions, I hope you have a good evening, but I'll try and get through some of these. So does insurance cover SK removal or cryotherapy? The answer is it depends. So if something is symptomatic, at least for our insurers currently, if we can document that it's painful, enlarging, or itchy, then insurance will cover the removal. If it is not symptomatic, then it's considered cosmetic. So we have that conversation with our patients, and we just do our utmost to document it because we have had a lot more pushback uh, with coverage of even wart cryotherapy in the office um, so this is somebody's approach for SK removal to numb it cauterize it and then scrape it off um, I agree with you I like to use electrocautery for dermatosis papillus and nigra because I don't want to cryo those and people with darker skin um, so I I think that that is a really nice option and especially in that subgroup of people Um, For a large lesion, such as maligna, what area of the lesion do I prefer to biopsy? So that's a really good question. For that one on the woman's face, one approach you could take is to do scouting biopsies, so to basically block out three or four different places and do punches. Um, If you can predict, you think, the part that's the thickest, and that's usually the place that is the darkest, uh, you can just do a scoop in that area. Um, You know, in the incredibly absurd chance that that thing was not lentigo maligna, and you don't want to leave a big scoop scar on her cheek you know a four millimeter punch or three millimeter punches you could at least again get some sense of is there some atypical melanocytic proliferation you could have her come back in and do more biopsies doing excisions so um, i think one of the lessons is always Uh, DermPath always wants more skin, uh, more samples, and they can sometimes put those in context. We also sometimes send a picture of the lesion to our dermatopathologists because they like to take that into uh, context of what they're interpreting. Um, When sending a lesion, do you give the gross, so that kind of addresses that. I think a picture speaks a thousand words, especially for those dermatopathologists that are derm trained. Um, How do I explain DSAP to a patient? I usually just say, you know what, these are spots of sun damage. They often come out when we get to the right age, so I never want to tell people, hey, you're getting old. Um, So I just say when you get to the right age, um, it also can be a sign of immunosuppression. So uh, the person who just had a, you know, kidney transplant and they're on new meds, these can pop out in the year or two after that, but I don't say that they're precancerous. I just say, you know what, this is a sign that you had sun damage. You may have had enough sun damage to make like a basal or squamous cell skin cancer, and then I give them a talk about the signs of basal cell or squamous cell skin cancer. Um, Treatments for CNH, that's a great question because it's sort of like warts. If you look at a list of 20 things, you know that none of them work. Um, So there's a list of at least 20 things for CNH. Um, Cryo is one, so under the heading of procedures. Cryo, intralesional catalogue, sort of a scoop shave, and excision are some of the most common ones. PDL has been tried as well, not PDL, PDT. Um, And under medications, which, you know, some of my patients have gone through the gamut of uh, non-melanoma skin cancer treatments and they don't want more procedures, we'll use topical steroids, I said the intralesional Kenalog nitro paste has been studied a little bit uh, recently. You can get 2% or 0.2%, and it seems like the 0.2% works just as well as the 2%, maybe has less risk of causing uh, headaches and a little bit of uh, hypotension or dizziness, Um, but... The other thing that we sometimes use is we have people get corn cushions or hemorrhoid cushions, and it helps to kind of take the pressure off that area as well. And they just wear it to sleep, so they don't wear it all day. Um, Let's see. Can I recommend a best dermatoscope? So I think that's one of those things, like I can't recommend the best car, because they're all a little bit different feeling and different costs. Um, So we use, I don't even, I think it's like the two, derm light like two, level two model, um, but it's black and it's sort of compact. It's only like this big. Um, our dermoscopy expert at our institution has like the dermatoscope level three, which is a lot heavier, a lot more expensive. I've used hers a couple of times. I don't feel like it gives me any more information. Can be really helpful, I think, for the photography that she's doing. Um, but I think the main take home message is Go to a trade show, I don't know if they have any here, but hold them, touch them, talk about prices, but in general, there's no best brand. Dermlight, again, is just what I happen to have, but Hein makes them, and there's a number of different makers. Do you feel like you have to have an advanced dermatoscope? No, absolutely not. Um, How pigment near a nail looks with dermoscopy. Great question. So blood, when you look down on it on the nail, has that same sort of brown-red, like, brick color. And it's typically a very smooth globule, whereas melanin is very often linear in its shape because it's either a nevus in the nail bed or post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So it's usually linear. And you can look at the end of the nail to see if there's pigment being being deposited in the nail plate. And so if we remember how the nail matrix grows, the sort of proximal part of the nail grows out. And so if you see pigment at the top, when you look end on at the nail, it means it's a proximal pigmented lesion. pigment is towards the bottom of the nail then it's more distal lesion that just helps you know like do I really need to go back under the nail fold to get this out a lot of our uh, Mohs surgeons would do our nail biopsies for us our nail matrix Um, but the difference between blood and melanin is really the color and then that blood has that very smooth kind of globular look to it Will I be adding updated slides? Yes, I believe that the experts in the back will be helping me to update the handouts. Approach to Nikia again, I kind of look down on it. A lot of times, I'll take pictures in clinic because I'm pretty sure that something is just blood. The patient is very concerned. And once we talk about what it means to have a nail biopsy, they're like, OK, we can watch it. So we take a picture, and then they come back. You know, for a toe, it might be four to six months just because they're so slow growing. Um, for a fingernail, it might be a few months. I paused for a second because I also look at the context of the lesions. So if they have no other pigment anywhere else, it's a Caucasian person and there might even be pigment in the surrounding skin or pink um, skin at the edge. So let me explain that better. I had a patient who came in to have a wart treated on his thumb and I looked at it, I was like, well, I can kind of see how it looks verrucal in one area, but why is it covering the whole end of your thumb? And it didn't have the black pinpoint uh, you know, thrombosed vessels, and it was a squamous cell. So that's why I think it's important to just kind of take the whole nail and finger in context. You know, are there other warts in other places, if that's what you're thinking? Is there pigment in other places? And is it just a lot bigger than you think it should be? So I think all of that helps me to, to know where to go. Great questions. Thank you. This has been a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs, recorded live during our summer 2017 meeting in San Diego, California.